The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is a WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Right now that time, 818, you're listening to WGNS. And this morning from St. Thomas, we have Dr. Lindsay Keith, and she is a local breast surgery specialist. So I I guess starting off, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you. So here in Rutherford County, our numbers for breast cancer and let's say reconstructive surgeries, do we have higher numbers than other counties here in Tennessee? Well, actually, I believe that Rutherford County tends to um, get people that travel from other surrounding counties, kind of uh, south of here, uh, east and west of here, that come to Murfreesboro for care because we do have great medical care here um, and without having to go into Nashville. And so I think that we do have high numbers here as a result of that, as well as, you know, this this area being a very fastly growing area. And what are some of the things that you see on a regular basis in your office? Um, about 90 to 95 percent of what I do now has to do with the breast, uh, breast cancer, benign breast disease, breast pain, uh, high-risk breast cancer screening, uh, patients with a significant family history of breast cancer, things like that. I just still do some general surgery as well, but uh, most of what I do has to do with um, breast care. And then how big of a role does, you know, like family history play in deciding who to look at, who to get a mammogram sooner than later, and so forth? So what you're talking about is high-risk breast cancer screening. And so we, we have some tools now to stratify people into average risk versus high risk. Uh, and then we, we alter screening recommendations based on that. So family history is part of it, but that's not the only thing that has to do with it. Um, it all has to, also has to do with um, uh, whether or not you've had children or carried them to term. Um, breastfeeding is somewhat protect, uh, protective as well. Um, hormone use uh, after menopause. Um, those are just a few of them in general, but uh, we have calculators that actually sort of help us to stratify people into a percentage category and determine whether or not they uh, need to increase the amount of screening they're doing. And of course, this is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, during this month, is there an increased effort to bring more people in to do things like mammograms? Yes, there is. Um, so it, uh, breast cancer, fortunately, has um, become widely, the, the pink ribbon has become um, widely recognized, obviously, as uh, the symbol for breast cancer. And yes, this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So a lot of uh, organizations are uh, trying to bring that even in, in, into even more awareness now to encourage people to get screened. And again, with us this morning, breast surgery specialist, Dr. Lindsay Keith. And of course, this, uh, well, coming up, we have Wine Around the Square and uh, I believe that's October 21st, and this is the 12th annual Wine Around the Square, and that is another event that does focus on, it focuses on breast cancer awareness. Uh, how, how does all of that usually unfold? How does it take place? Uh, it's, a, it's a fun event. Uh, basically, it's held on the square in Murfreesboro, and um, all of the proceeds go to uh, Power of Pink to fund um, uh, screening for breast cancer. Uh, and so usually there is a, um, a guest speaker or sort of a, an honored speaker or an honored guest um, that is recognized during that event, uh, usually uh, for their history of breast cancer, their survivor from breast cancer, uh, or their um, 
have been um, instrumental in helping diagnose people with breast cancer, things like that. So there's usually a guest speaker that's honored during um, during the event. But essentially, it's for the, the public to sort of walk around, shop, um, look into uh, inside the stores that are uh, on the square, and um, and sample some some um, different different drinks. It's not just wine; they do have different uh, spirits as well that um, that you can sample. And the Assision St. Thomas Foundation Mission in Motion Motor Coach that does, I guess, they offer a variety of services and they go to different areas. Uh, is that going to be there as well? It typically is on site um, during one around the square, and you can walk in and actually tour it. Uh, it is a it's essentially an RV or a bus that um, is equipped with mammogram a mammogram machine so that they typically will go um, during different times uh, to different businesses things like that where the the, um, the bus is outside and you can walk in and go get your screening mammogram so it really helps women tend to take care of everybody else in the family uh, before themselves and so um, if it's at their work or at their event wherever they are uh, they're more likely to you know if it's brought to you you're more likely to uh, partake as opposed to having to take time off work or take time off um, from children's activities or or whatever it is to to go take care of yourself so it is it's a it's a great um, a great instrument that we have now with imaging these days how far along have we come I, I mean how much are you able to actually see and then detect uh, mammogram is still the mainstay of breast uh, imaging uh, what has been uh, kind of the standard of care now is something called 3d mammogram or it's the same thing as tomosynthesis so if that's what it says on your order that's what that means it's 3d but essentially what it does is it looks at the breast in small slices almost like a ct scan so you uh, it really sort of what we call peels away at dense breast tissue so it allows you to see masses or what we call architectural distortions or if there's pulling or something going on in the breast that's normally not visible on just a standard 2d x-ray which is very similar to you know what you'd see on an x-ray with a bone so it really kind of dives deeper into the breast if you will uh, to sort of look through really dense tissue and it's very effective um, at um, at picking up things that a standard digital mammogram would not uh, and it decreases what we call callbacks so callbacks um, by 40 percent so that means you have a screening mammogram and then uh, something is found uh, and then you have to come back for a diagnostic mammogram plus or minus an ultrasound uh, so it decreases that because it shows things that uh, while, while they might look suspicious on a digital study are not actually suspicious once you do the 3d mammogram so it, it's very beneficial in that case and then i'm sure a lot of patients come in probably for the first time in a lot of cases because they feel a lump they feel something and they're scared absolutely um, and so that's that's when you go automatically to a diagnostic study so when somebody comes in with a, a, a palpable or you know something they can feel a lump or a mass or uh, even pain uh, a lot of times what we'll do first is get imaging on typically on both sides and that's sort of age dependent if you're over 30 we'll go ahead and jump straight to a mammogram on both sides typically with an ultrasound to follow if you're less than 30 that does not mean that you can't get cancer but it does mean um, that we usually just start with ultrasound because the likelihood of it being something like a cyst or a, a benign tumor called a fibroadenoma uh, is more more likely than um, than a cancer. Now, when they first feel that lump, what are some of the other things that they need to kind of be aware of? I mean, pain or can the lump is it movable in some way? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So there's other characteristics besides just feeling a lump uh, when we when we look to see, you know, what's going on. So um, a painful mass is usually a cyst. It's not usually a breast cancer. Uh, when I say usually, that's because most breast cancers are not painful. When you uh, move it in the breast, a lot of times, um, or when you move a mass in the breast, if it's mobile or it kind of slides between your fingers, that is usually a benign finding, not a cancer. Um, if it feels a little bit more fixed, kind of like it's stuck um, to the surrounding tissue, that is a little bit more concerning for a cancer. If there's skin changes overlying it, meaning a dimple or a divot or um, some pulling on the skin, especially when you raise or lower your arms, um, that would be more concerning for a cancer because, again, it's sticking to the tissue around it. Um, but, uh, but those are some of the things that we look at when we're trying to determine how suspicious is this. And, of course, imaging to follow. Are, are you ever surprised by, let's say, the age of some of those who are diagnosed with breast cancer? Especially lately. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I just diagnosed a 27-year-old. Um, and it, in the past two months, I've had several in their 30s. Uh, the 40s is just kind of common now. Um, of course, that's screening age, so you sort of expect it. Um, but uh, lately, um, I've, I've been a little bit surprised um, about how young patients are. So what, what goes into that? I mean, those being a lot younger, I mean, what, is something happening or what, what is it? I wish I had the answer to that um, because then I could, you know, obviously uh, be a little bit more on the defensive side and toward preventative side. Um, but at this point, um, I just need the public to know that if you feel something, don't ignore it um, because it can be a cancer. And usually younger people will present or come to me or, or their doctor with um, larger masses that are a little bit more advanced because, again, one, sometimes it's ignored by, you know, the person that they brought it to. Or sometimes a patient said, well, I'm too young for this. This can't be cancer. And so they wait. Um, and but. But ultimately, you're not too young, um, based on what I've seen here re recently as well. So if, if somebody does wait uh, on going to the doctor when they first feel something, what, what usually happens? I mean, what, what is the normal chain of events that occur? It's uh, it, that's a difficult question to answer, but ultimately, uh, when you neglect a breast cancer, um, you know, of course, bad things happen. They tend to spread, uh, but a lot of times for breast cancer, that takes a long time. And that being said, that is not for every breast cancer. Um, there are certain breast cancers that will grow and spread faster than others. Uh, but if you neglect at what I call a good type of breast cancer, if there is such a thing, um, sometimes it can take years before anything bad happens. But uh, bad types of breast cancer, usually you can't ignore it. it um, at past, past about six months when something, you know, when, when things start changing. So when it actually spreads, what are the characteristics that, you know, somebody may feel or see? The first place that breast cancer likes to go is to the lymph nodes underneath the arm on the same side. Um, now, it doesn't always follow that drainage pattern, but that, that is the first place to go. So when you're looking at what we call regional spread, meaning spread to the surrounding lymph nodes, uh, you might feel a lump or a, um, a mass or even sometimes pain underneath the arm where the lymph nodes live um, because there's lots of nerves in that area as well. So you can actually get pain associated with significant lymph node disease. Um, and so that would be the first thing to look for if it's spreading. 
if it goes to other organs in the body, um, usually it doesn't stay silent for very long. What I mean by that is you'll have a, you know, a new symptom that's new and not going away. Um, headaches, vision changes, bone pains, back pains, uh, abdominal pain, um, something that you can put your finger on. Um, it hurts right here, not just sort of like, oh, I have this back pain that comes and goes. It's not that. It's usually more persistent, you know, constant pain. So when somebody comes to your office and they're at that point where they're feeling pain, maybe under the arm, whatever it may be, is it a case where they usually went to their primary care physician and, and you know, ask, well, what's going on here? Or do they make a call and go right to you? Um, sometimes they have been to other doctors. And um, again, when the patients are younger, it usually, it will, not usually, it sometimes gets, you know, brushed off as, you know, it can't be that. So don't don't worry about it. Um, but that's pretty few and far between. I find that a lot of people will be appropriately worked up. And so if they're having, it's very rare that breast cancer is stage four, which is, you know, spread to other organs in the body at the time of diagnosis. It's much more likely to be sort of locally uh, just involving the breast and or the breast and lymph nodes um, in that case. So it, it varies. Um, sometimes they have been worked up or they've been seen and sort of, you know, it wasn't caught, but that's a very, very rare scenario. Uh, again, with us this morning, breast surgery specialist, Dr. Lindsay Keith. And when those patients do come in, are they pretty anxious at, at the point, you know, whenever they're starting to feel some type of pain with it? Absolutely. Yeah. Most of the time patients actually come to me once they've already had some imaging. Now, sometimes they have not had imaging and they, their doctor knew that I could get them in, you know, quickly and then we could get the imaging and go from there. But most of the time they've had some sort of imaging. Um, but yes, absolutely. They're anxious, they're nervous, they're scared. Um, and that's, that's a normal, appropriate response. So when somebody is at that point where there's a lot of anxiety going on, they're, they're worried, do you have to sometimes prescribe, you know, you know, a medication for that anxiety to help them cope with it over the next few days? Some patients ask for that, um, but I try to discourage that because the, the pill or the medicine is not going to fix the underlying problem, right? It's just a one step at a time. We've got to work through this step by step and figure out what's going on here. And the medicine doesn't do anything, but obviously just sort of um, dull those symptoms. If it's a patient that has some chronic ongoing anxiety, depression, things like that, then I usually defer that to their primary care physician and then you know if it is far enough along is there still you know a real good percentage uh, of saving that person and, and getting rid of the cancer um, unfortunately I've seen people who are hours or days um, before death um, and uh, in that case no there's not a whole lot to do other than really kind of help them be comfortable um, and there, there there are things that we can do to do that um, but if somebody comes to me with sort of locally advanced or um, stage four disease that is um, treatable, it is not curable, but we can treat it. And a lot of times people can get several months to even years um, of life uh, from treatment. So when somebody comes to you and they're literally hours, days away from, from death, they usually have got a lot of other issues, don't they? I mean, because I can't imagine putting something off because you'd have to feel horrible if that's how far along your cancer was. Yeah, and those are those are cases where the patient knew, but denial is a very strong emotion, and um, the patient knew something wasn't right, something wasn't normal, but um, for whatever reason, they put something or somebody else above their own needs, um, or even sometimes fear and anxiety um, uh, has sort of conquered 
their ability to sort of reach out and get help. Um, and so those are those are very scary times. But again, we do have things that can help, obviously, ease that transition. But it's not not anything that anybody loves to see. And, and the best thing to do is really kind of just be there for the family as well and help them understand how or why that happened. So what are some of the other health problems that you see that may, I don't know, hide what may be really going on with if it is breast cancer what are some of the other issues you see people have um if it sometimes people are in nursing homes or um, assisted living facilities or um, something where they're just over their overall health is sometimes um, um, poor and uh, they don't get regular screening things like that that does happen and sometimes it's their caregiver that notices a mass or a lump or or something going on that's that's not normal and shouldn't be there Uh, because that patient usually has not been going to um, getting any kind of screening studies for for a good long time if they're in that kind of condition but so you can have somewhat more advanced um, cancers in those cases so if you're in a nursing home obviously you can still get breast cancer late in life Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, there are some guidelines that say that you need to stop screening after 75 years of age because they're just using kind of standard um, or or data from, you know, national data essentially saying that, you know, life expectancy uh, is not long after 75. So you need to stop screening. And that that is false information. Ultimately, uh, age is just a number. Um, I have several patients who are in their 80s and look fantastic um, getting around better than than many who are 20 years younger than them. Um, so age is just a number. If the, my rule of thumb is that if your life expectancy is um, approximately five years, if you think that you're going to live at least five years, you should continue breast cancer screening, whether you're 80, 85, some 90 year olds are running marathons. So again, that's obviously a low number there, but ultimately um, age is just a number. And if you think that you're going to be around based on your overall health for at least five more years, uh, then you should continue screening. And again, this is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and our guest today, Dr. Lindsay Keith from Decision St. Thomas Rutherford here in Murfreesboro. And uh, you practice, what, in Murfreesboro, and do you practice in Nashville as well? No, I'm not in Nashville. I'm I'm strictly... um here in Murfreesboro, um, but I uh, just recently was employed by Ascension St. Thomas, but I've actually just started my own private practice. Last week was my first week in the office. So I'm still here in Murfreesboro, and I'm actually in the north part of town in Heritage Square. And, uh, you know, what are the numbers that we're seeing with breast cancer? I mean, do you have a, a percentage of the population that typically is diagnosed with it? Yes. In general, one in eight women is going to deal with breast cancer at some point in your life. So you can count the number of women that you know, and you can sort of estimate, you know, what percentage of women are going to deal with breast cancer. But on, on average, 12%. I mean, one in eight, that that's a lot, it sounds like. It is. Yeah. So with those types of numbers, I mean, literally every woman out there should be making sure that she is, I, I guess, you know, clear of breast cancer yeah absolutely because the best time to catch it is when it's sort of in what we call a non-invasive stage and that's that's essentially only really done by mammogram Uh, that's the only way that you can really detect that unless you happen to get some screening that that happened to find it Um, but but past that absolutely every woman needs to be aware of them um, of of their breast what's normal what's new what's not new um, and uh, and absolutely sort of um, have that in the forefront of their mind so if somebody gets an annual checkup every single year, you know, is that enough or do they have to add to it that mammogram just, I guess, starting at a certain age? 
Yeah, and that's what we were talking about with the high-risk breast cancer screening or even um, stratifying people into high-risk or not high-risk, kind of average general population risk. Um, but in general, screening should start at 40 years old with a screening mammogram and once a year thereafter with a clinical breast exam. That means a breast exam done by either somebody like myself, your primary care physician, your OBGYN, nurse practitioner, whoever it is that's doing a breast exam as well, combined with screening. We call that a double test, and when the double test is clear, there's a very low likelihood that you're going to have a breast cancer sometime within the next year. And then when you look at different factors out there in the community, such as, uh, you know, poverty versus somebody who is middle class, are, are you seeing more cases of it in certain classes? In general, uh, it doesn't discriminate. Um, it can happen in uh, poverty stricken areas it can happen in high class areas ultimately it can anywhere in between um, and so it doesn't discriminate based on all of that but of course uh, when you're <clears throat> typically when you're in sort of a poverty or a poorer area you know diet may not be as good exercise may not be as good um, and um, you know family history obviously it comes into play there environmental exposures things like that so um, uh, there do tend to be sort of worse breast cancers. Furthermore, there tends to a lot, be a lot of um, distrust uh, in the medical community and, the, and that sort of population. So sometimes they will present with worse cases because they've waited. And, and then how big of a role does diet actually play in breast cancer? When we look at uh, the risk of breast cancer and diet, it's not necessarily some particular thing in your diet. It's really kind of your overall uh, BMI, your overall health, again, activity level, uh, exercise level. The only thing that's been really trying to kind of proven to sort of increase your risk for breast cancer as well as worsen your chances of it coming back uh, after breast cancer is having um, excessive body fat, so high BMI. So after somebody is diagnosed with breast cancer and they go through the proper treatment, how often does it reoccur? Very rare, actually. Um, and so with standard um, treatment, 6 to 7% is what we usually quote with breast conservation. That means a lumpectomy, checking the lymph nodes, followed by radiation. And with a mastectomy, anywhere from 2 to 4%. Um, now, that is also somewhat dependent on the biology of their tumor, the subtype of tumor that they had. More aggressive tumors, if they are going to come back, they'll usually do so early, within the first 2 to 5 years. And that's when I kind of keep a very close eye on patients. Um, but... Um, estrogen receptor positive breast cancers or hormone rep hormone positive breast cancers sometimes come back late after 20, 25 years. But I would say that's the exception and not the rule. And again with us this morning, Dr. Lindsay Keith, and we are talking about, of course, National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So some of the signs, symptoms, things to look out for when it comes to breast cancer. We're going to take a short break in the time right now, again, 839, and we'll be right back right after this. Here in Tennessee, most dogs and cats benefit from year-round flea and tick prevention. Here at Animal City, we are able to help. This is Amanda at Animal City, inviting your family to come do business with my family. Make sure to adventure through our small animal department downstairs. Your next furry friend may be waiting for you. Hedgehogs, guinea pigs, hamsters, and so many other friends. We're celebrating our 33rd anniversary. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street, Murfreesboro. Our people, that's the difference. Maples Realty and Auction. I'm Betsy Maples-Taylor with Maples Realty and Auction Company in Murfreesboro. Maples Realty and Auction offers a variety of auction services, including home, estate, land, farm, bank-owned property, equipment, and personal property auctions. 
Get in touch for a free no-obligation analysis to determine if the auction method is best for you. More information at maplesrealtyandauction.com or call 896-4740. Maples Realty and Auction. CBS News Brief. The death toll in the four-day-old Israeli-Hamas war has climbed to almost 1,800, with at least 11 Americans among the dead. And Israel is pounding the Gaza Strip with airstrikes. CBS's Nora O'Donnell is in Tel Aviv. The Israeli Defense Force is now mobilizing some 360,000 reservists as they get ready for a ground invasion of Gaza. Lawmakers in Washington still unable to approve aid for Israel with the House speakerless. Congressman Steve Scalise hopes to fill the spot. We stand strongly with Israel. The House needs to get back to work. Uh, that means we've got to select a speaker, and you saw a strong resolve to make sure that we can come together quickly. Kaiser Permanente health care workers are promising to come together for a new and bigger strike next month. They don't get a contract deal in the next three weeks. They staged a three-day walkout last week. CBS News Brief. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Major phone carriers make you sign contracts with rigid data plans to trap you into a kind of forced phonogamy. Sounds pretty insecure if you ask me. At Consumer Cellular, we believe in a more consensual and healthy form of phonogamy, free of contracts and more flexible to your data needs. This way, you stick around not because we force you to with contracts and fees, but because you love our phone plans. Like ardently love our phone plans. Phonogamously. Consumer Cellular. When Freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. CapstarBank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. What's up? Right now that time, 8.43, you're tuned to WGNS. And again, National Breast Cancer Awareness Month is this month. And we have with us this morning, breast surgery specialist, Dr. Lindsay Keith. And we've been talking about some of the things to look out for when it comes to breast cancer. And uh, I, I'm curious, once somebody receives that diagnosis, uh, how long does everything take from start to finish? If, if you have to remove a lump or if you have to actually, you know, go through more extensive cancer treatment? Sure. That's highly variable based on um, a number of factors, but I'll, I'll give you the general. Um, and tip, typically, um, people come to me early enough that they have um, choices. They have um, options between uh, saving their breast versus not saving their breast. And so um, if so- sometimes patients come with a subtype of breast cancer that actually needs chemotherapy first, sometimes to shrink the tumor um, and make it amenable to saving their breast, sometimes that's not possible. So in general, you know, surgically, people typically have two options between those uh, saving the breast and not saving the breast. And so 
to get them through a saving the breast surgery or breast conservation therapy. Uh, it's a lot quicker, um, a little bit easier to heal from, but it, it does typically include radiation. Uh, mastectomy with or without reconstruction um, on average is about four to six weeks to kind of recover from. But then all the other things that we do to treat breast cancer come into play. Uh, they will usually get plugged in with a medical oncologist and or a radiation oncologist. Um, medical oncology side of things, um, sometimes not all cancers need chemotherapy, so that is a, that is a misnomer. Um, and so sometimes patients just go see that medical oncologist and they get prescribed a pill uh, it's an anti-estrogen pill now that's only for tumors that actually are positive for estrogen receptors but that's a pill that's taken every day for five years uh, if radiation is needed the typical process is it takes about a month to get through um, but it is a once a day treatment sometimes a twice a day treatment for a week depending on uh, a number of factors but ultimately um, the radiation piece is usually done in about a month so it's a journey it's not a sprint um, and it sometimes uh, treatment can last for the total of about a year uh, and that's only a certain you know, about 20 percent of uh, certain breast cancers so will most women have to take off of work for that year or can they actually go into work every day most people I actually try to encourage them to work through chemotherapy if they're going to have to have chemotherapy because uh, you only get you you typically get an infusion every two to three weeks depending on what regimen they're going to give you um, and then you most of the time you you feel pretty good for the most part during that time I encourage people to take a little bit of time off obviously for surgery uh, for obvious reasons but most people actually work through radiation as well they try to keep you on a schedule they the treatments themselves are short 15 20 minutes or so you're kind of in and out and on with your day um, so obviously for for obvious reasons you need to take some time off around surgery but most of the time you can try to uh, encourage I encourage people to live their most normal life that they can through the other treatments and then what goes into making that decision of to do reconstructive surgery or you know what to choose uh, it's strictly a personal decision um, a lot of times there's there's people that are young that have no interest in in, um, in reconstruction and that's fine it's totally a personal decision um, but then there's some older women you know in their 70s that that do want reconstruction that are absolutely uh, need need that feeling of feeling normal again and so uh, we we try to use you know overall health as sort of a uh, indicator as to whether or not they should go through reconstruction but in general it's very much a personal decision and it's not absolutely required and I also tell people that you know if if you decide that you don't want to do reconstruction right now there are some options for delayed reconstruction meaning later on down the road that can be done as well that that can give you some sort of um, semblance of normal as well and, and then what does reconstruction look like what kind of a process is that and are there more dangers that go along with it um, what you're talking about I believe is immediate reconstruction so when a patient ha wants a mastectomy by far and away I think the best cosmetic results happen if you have it done immediately meaning it started on the same day of your surgery um, I would be uh, the surgeon that, that takes care of removing the breast and checking the lymph nodes. And then a plastic surgeon works with me at the same time that um, comes in behind me when I'm done uh, and, and puts in typically a tissue expander. Uh, and then that gets expanded over time and then exchanged for a permanent implant at a second stage or second surgery down the road a little bit, depending on what other treatments they have to go through. So it's typically a two-stage process. Sometimes it can be done in one stage, but to me, cosmetically, it looks better if it's done in, in two stages. Uh, but ultimately, it is a, a combined effort. Uh, requires two surgeons kind of operating at the, on the same day, um, you know, one after the other, uh, to get that done. Delayed reconstruction is typically done. Uh, it can be done using implants. Um, 
but t most often it's it will look better if somebody has what's called an autologous reconstruction usually using their own tissues their own fatty tissue plus or minus muscle uh, to sort of rebuild a breast that's typically how delayed reconstruction is done and because there is a cosmetic aspect to it does health insurance for most people usually cover all of this mm-hmm Yep. Uh, when it comes to there being a breast cancer diagnosis, insurance does cover uh, reconstruction at this point in time. Now, could that change in the future? Possibly. Um, but um, they do have, uh, or there is what's called a right to symmetry. It's a federal right to symmetry where insurances cannot deny covering your reconstruction if your goal is to achieve symmetry or matching on both sides. Of course, you know, there, I, I would guess there's some cases where you have cancer on both sides, too. So that's a different topic altogether. Absolutely. It's not, um, it's, I, w I wouldn't say it's common, but it's not uncommon sometimes to see breast cancer on both sides as well. Um, w within the past year, I've had at least, you know, five to six patients that have had breast cancer on both sides. So that's why when we're kind of talking about if you're over 30, the first thing that we start with is imaging on both sides for chances that we don't want to miss something on the opposite side if we're looking on another side. Interestingly, sometimes patients will say, well, I have pain on this left side, and then they go get imaging, and then there's a cancer on the right side. So I don't, I don't begin to understand why that happens, um, but ultimately it's, um, it's not uncommon that things like that happen. So if they do have it on both sides, do you see that one side is growing faster than the other? Most of the time they are different cancers slightly uh, in terms of their, their type and subtype, um, but, um, but typically one will be a little bit more symptomatic than the other. That would be a, a, a lot to deal with. I mm -hmm. mean, if you have two different types of cancer on either side. Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. And then most of the time uh, what I do is when I talk to them, most of the time I'm only dealing with one cancer on one side. But um, when that happens, I usually say that all of these things that I'm about to talk about are going to apply to both sides. Uh, meaning uh, if you decide to save your breast, it's you know a lumpectomy, checking the lymph nodes, followed by radiation on both sides versus just one side. Um, but many of these women's, m women will check, uh, will actually do mastectomies because they you know, they're like, I don't want to take a chance of this happening again. And then if they have it only on one side, do a lot of them decide to, I guess, surgically remove the breast on both sides? Yeah, many do. Yeah, but not everybody. I mean, I've had somebody recently who just decided they wanted to try to keep them on both sides, and that's okay. Um, but, but most of the time they do choose mastectomies. And so if they choose that route, is that something that is also covered by insurance right now? Absolutely, yeah. I guess I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of questions when it comes to insurance because there's so many different policies out there these days. Me too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> insurance, I feel like, is something we're not supposed to understand or figure out, but uh, it's 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 un it's necessary. Um, but but ultimately, it is a it is a frustrating thing. Maybe one day it'll be easier. I don't know. Maybe. Dr. Lindsay Keith with us today. And again, talking about breast cancer and some of the things to look out for. What are some of the other, I guess, early warning signs? I know you mentioned a few earlier this morning, but what are some of the things that we should really look out for? So, I mean, really, most of the time, early breast cancer doesn't have any symptoms. That's our goal is that it's not symptomatic. Um, but an early symptom would be, you know, feeling a mass. But that requires that you're actually checking them for that to happen or at least going to your doctor for somebody to check them so um, but past that um, symptom wise most of my patients say I feel fine I feel healthy I feel great but I have this cancer and that's that's the norm as you feel normal and that first mammogram for somebody to get is it painful in any way 
I wouldn't say they're pleasant, but they're um, but they're not terrible either. Um, there's a lot of things where, where women will have maybe one bad experience and then they'll never go back. Um, that is that is not good. Basically, just talk to your your mammography tech. Uh, they're they're wonderful women and they're going to listen to you. And if something hurts and you need to stop, obviously tell them. Um, so there there may be where you've had you know an open heart surgery and you've had a scar in the middle of your chest and obviously that that hurts and so you just need to talk to your mammography tech and they'll they'll be sensitive they'll be um, you know more gentle with you so ultrasounds mris are those types of tests also done those types of imaging mm-hmm. uh, my recommendation is that ultrasound is not necessarily used for screening but it's used for um, for diagnostic purposes, meaning it's as an adjunct typically to mammogram, if you're, again, if you're over 30 and if you're less than 30, you can use it to sort of diagnose a problem uh, that's going on in the breast. But ultrasound is a great tool. I u- use it in my own office almost every day um, to, to look at something if I want to sort of lay my eyes on it or uh, to make a diagnosis of some sort. Uh, but MRI is a gradually more accepted form of imaging for breast cancer screening. It's typically done for what we call high-risk breast cancer screening uh, when it's used for screening. And that's uh, it's an MRI. It's a magnet. It's not radiation. Uh, but it does take about 45 minutes. And an MRI for the breast is actually done with you laying on your belly, not your back like you would expect. And so you're laying on your, on your belly, and it takes about 45 minutes, and you have to lay still. Um, now you asked me earlier about medications. Sometimes we do give medications for that because you have to lay still and so it's sometimes a difficult procedure to get through. But MRI is used for screening. I also use it in the setting of a newly diagnosed breast cancer when patients have really dense breast tissue to sort of estimate an extent of disease or how much disease is actually there for surgical planning. I also use it for certain types of breast cancer, specifically invasive lobular cancer because they tend to be bigger um, on MRI than they looked on mammogram. And sometimes that helps me make surgical recommendations. So ultimately I use it as a tool for problem solving. Um, but it is also used for screening as well. So can a breast cancer detection be missed in any situation when doing a mammogram? Absolutely. I mean, I have a patient who recently uh, had a mammogram in February that was normal. Um, and then, um, during that study, the, the premier radiology noted that their, their lifetime risk of breast cancer was about 21 to 22%. And so that patient was then stratified into that higher risk for breast cancer screening. And then they had an MRI to follow that MRI actually detected a breast cancer. Is that normal? I, I mean, that, that, I wouldn't say that's normal. I would say that is, uh, an exception again, and not the rule. Um, but it does happen. I'm curious, are there those times where you go back and look at a previous mammogram and then all of a sudden, okay, well, now I see where it it grew to. I see where it started now. Yeah, absolutely. So I always say hindsight's 2020. If you know where something is now, you can look back sometimes and see, oh, well, yeah, it was there, but it was smaller. And, And sometimes I have to say, this is not something the radiologist missed. This is something that just grew enough or became just suspicious enough now that back then it didn't look suspicious and now it is. So that does happen. Um, that does not mean that you should never, ever trust a mammogram again. That just means that that thing in your breast um, did not grow significantly enough to be called by a radiologist. Um, and I wouldn't say it was missed. It's more that it just didn't look suspicious then. You know, a radiologist is looking at an image right then and right there. They can't predict what's going to happen in the future. And I guess if somebody barely moved or something, that could also change it. 
It can. Um, so there, we call that artifact if, if somebody uh, moves. Um, but usually they'll mention something that like, like that on the report. And sometimes radiologists will say, you know, there's this thing here. And while it's not suspicious now, I don't want to see it in a year. I want to see it in six months. And so those are what, what we call probably benign results. And they'll, they'll usually get six-month imaging. So are you also going back and looking at what the radiologist looked at just to, I mm-hmm. guess, double check? Yeah, I check all of my imaging. Um, sometimes I'll find things that, that they may not have thought were suspicious and sometimes i'll miss something that they they saw so ultimately it's always better to have at least four eyes as opposed to just two so absolutely i look all my imaging so depending on where they go to get you know the the mammogram done is it going to be a radiologist who kind of has the basics of everything and oversees a lot of different or looks for a lot of different type cancers or or you know, suspicious spots. Yeah, most most radiologists, I think, in this area at least, um, do a little bit of everything. They they read CTs, they read MRIs, they read X-rays, they read breast, you know, mammograms, ultrasounds, things like that. So they kind of do a little bit of everything. But um, there are. Um, Uh, fellowship trained breast radiologists as well Uh, most of the time you're going to find those in academic centers you know big big city um, type locations but ultimately um, I think that our radiologists here are great and 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 I have an open dialogue with them which with each one of them again breast surgery specialist Dr. Lindsay Keith with us this morning if anybody listening wants to learn more or uh, perhaps they want to make an appointment or they don't know what step to take how can they get a hold of you my website is lindsaykeith.com. Um, it's got a phone number there. There's also a web form you can fill out to try to request an appointment. Um, but if I can give my address, too, it's 1830 Heritage um, Park Plaza in Heritage Square. It's here in Murfreesboro. Uh, so if you if, if you can't get through or something like that, just show up and we'll, we'll get you scheduled. I know we only have a minute or so left. So if they go to their, I guess, primary care provider and that doctor orders a a mammogram or or whatever it is they order at what point do they need to say well you know here's where i would like to go in order to have that you know second opinion or to to have the actual surgery done Mm -hmm. Um, so most of the time primary care providers have somebody that they they send to whether it's me or somewhere else and so um, if you don't have somebody in mind obviously you can you can just go to whoever they recommend that you go see most of the time if you trust your primary care doctor you're going to go to whoever they trust as well Um, but ultimately if you decide that you want an opinion or a second opinion about something involving the breast then um, obviously just go to again lindsaykeith.com and you can to uh, and i'll be happy to see you sounds good well thank you very much for joining us thank you right now that time eight fifty nine. again with us this morning dr lindsey keith Ascision st thomas rutherford and uh, again october 21st is the 12th annual wine around the square and of course we'll post more information about that on wgnsradio.com shortly time right now once more eight we're hitting the nine o'clock hour local news is next with ron jordan but right now, the weather. Skies become mostly sunny here this afternoon with a high in the upper 70s. Tonight, increasing clouds alone near 49. Wednesday, cloudy high around 80. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki for News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 52.